This episode of Chicago's Bravest Story is brought to you by Sports and Ortho Physical Therapy. Corey, you want to add to that? Oh, I could. You can. That's, that's how you start off. You say one <laughs> sentence. That's how you start off. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Keep that. That's the... <laughs> All right. Now I know. All right. That was. Uh, thanks for uh, tuning in. Uh, that was brought to you by yeah, Sports she's and Ortho. <laughs> Visit the website. Google it. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Take two. This this episode of Chicago's Bravest Stories is brought to you by Sports and Ortho Physical Therapy. Uh, today with us is Dahlia Fami from Sports and Ortho Physical Therapy. Hi, guys. How are you? Hey, Dahlia. Um, so I was looking over. You guys have some cool stuff you're working with over there. Um, what kind of equipment do you guys use at Sports and Ortho that's different than the other places? Well, you know, I figured if I'm going to rehab some firefighters and police officers, we better have things that they use. So we actually have drag dummies. We've got stretchers. I've got my own fire engine on the south side. We've got some ladders and some hoses and um, a couple of punching bags. Yeah. So you're that Vince that you've even got a couple of Steve <laughs> over there. Oh, I can't, I can't say his last name. Uh, <laughs> you've we'll got a couple of Steves over there. a couple of Steves. <laughs> um, yeah, no, and, and looking over, like, your your staff over there is trained incredibly. Yeah, we, like, really, really highly train our staff to know how the body moves in motion. So we just, you know, spend a lot of money training them, making sure that they're well-trained to take care of all the patients that we have, but especially those fire and police officers that we treat. Well, Dahlia, I know that uh, you guys have been around for 17 years, and we talked at you got your start with your first actual patient was a Chicago fireman. Yeah. You know, we want to uh, let everybody know that if you come to sports and ortho physical therapy, that is, it is covered by our city program for rehabilitation. Absolutely. Yep. We'd love to have everybody come see us. Awesome. Dal, you guys have seven locations. Uh, where can people find you guys at? Well, they can look us up at sportsandortho.net. All our locations are listed there. That's probably the best way to find us. Go check out Dali over there, um, sportsandortho.net. All right, welcome back to Chicago's Bravest Stories. We're going to do a special roll call here with Sean and Jacqueline from First Responders Sleep Recovery. How are you guys? Doing great. How are you today? I'm doing good, man. How'd you, uh, did you get a good night's sleep last night? I actually did. For a change, I was on shift last night, but I got managed to get to bed early and the city left us alone. We got to sleep through the night, the truck, the engine, and the chief. So it was a great night. Wow, that's uh, it's it, it's amazing when it happens, isn't it? It is. <laughs> well, Sean, just to uh, oh, go ahead, Jacqueline. It's the first thing I always ask him after he gets off shift. How well, was your sleep? <laughs> well, because you have to decide if you're going to cut him some slack for being grumpy, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, let's let's get right into it. Um, 
I actually reached out to you, Sean, because, um, you know, on social media, I kind of stumbled across you guys. And this is something that I've struggled with personally myself, and I know everybody else. I'm a paramedic on the uh, west side of Chicago. We're a busy company, and I've been on busy companies for, uh, you know, pretty much my whole career. Dealing with the lack of sleep for that 24 hours doesn't just stay at the firehouse. That transcends into the next day and the day after that. And we've done so much about first responders, health and wellness, but very little gets brought to light of the detrimental effects of sleep deprivation and what it's doing to your brain and your body. And so this is something that's kind of front of my mind as far as health and wellness. And so when I came across you guys, it was something that I want to reach out because I know you guys are um, making a push to try to alleviate some of that. So if you can tell everybody what exactly you guys are doing and how you're, you know, working to alleviate that. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for reaching out and thanks so much for giving us the time to talk to you today. It's, you know, it's a subject we're really passionate about and we're always excited to sit down and chat with somebody about sleep and the role that plays in our health and wellness. So a little backstory, you know, this, this program almost started kind of I don't like to say hobby, but it was it was almost like a hobby when it started because it was really just Jacqueline's pet project trying to correct my poor quality sleep. When we first got together and started our relationship, I was at a really busy company. We were running about 5,000 calls a year, and the majority of those calls were coming after midnight. So my sleep was undoubtedly suffering, and Jacqueline went to work trying to kind of mitigate the negative effects that she could see my disrupted sleep having on me and my overall health. So I went into it with an open mind, gave it a shot, and lo and behold, I did this sleep recovery practice that Jacqueline does, and it felt really good. But being a firefighter and it's our nature, I was still skeptical. So I continued to try it, but I wasn't 100% sure yet if it was just that it was a relaxing practice and it was helping calm me down or if it was really having a major benefit. And that changed when I went in for my first annual physical for the fire department, because after just a couple months of doing this, despite not making any other major significant changes to my lifestyle, I saw all of my medical results improve. I saw increased testosterone, decreased blood pressure, lower heart rate, improved VO2 max. Uh, my cholesterol was down. The results were staggering. So we started looking into it a little bit more, and we started delving into the research substantially more. And really started having this, this feeling that this would be a really good thing to get out to more and more first responders. Well, let me, let me ask you one question, Sean, before you get too far into this. So you saw your test results prior to the sleep program, like your, your markers for testosterone and everything like that. You saw the, the before and after the, like, cause you, I'm assuming that you're taking a physical every year. Yeah, that's exactly right. So we do, the department gives us an annual medical um, and fit for duty test every year. And prior to starting this, this program, I was starting to see a decline um, in some concerning numbers in those results. So for about two years prior to starting this practice, I was seeing a steady incline in my cholesterol and a drop in my testosterone and an incline in my blood pressure um, to the point like it wasn't, it wasn't, medically dangerous yet but I was way high from where I should have been for my age 
And I saw that turn around in just one year and really just a few short months just doing this practice. And Were you doing anything else that was different, a change in like lifestyle, uh, diet, or are you, you can absolutely attribute this to your sleep program? Yeah, and I, you know, I've changed since then, and I hate to admit this now, but what was remarkable is not only was I not changing my other things in my lifestyle, but my lifestyle at the time was, um, you know, it probably mirrors a lot of other firefighters, but it was horrific. I was eating terrible food, um, lots of fried stuff, lots of fast food. I was drinking two or three energy drinks a day and pretty regularly smoking cigars on shift with my crew. Um, I changed none of that when I first started the sleep recovery practice and still saw that benefit come just from doing the sleep recovery practice. And of course, since then, I've added in other lifestyle changes to correct some of those other bad habits as well. Sure. But so, I mean, it it's real quantitative proof that changing just that aspect of your life can make dramatic changes to your your health and wellness, right? Absolutely. And when we teach the program to departments, that's a big part of what we do is we give the anatomy and physiology that explains how simply chronically interrupting or disrupting our sleep directly plays a role in those things happening, like increased cholesterol and blood pressure and an increased propensity for suicidal ideation and action. We can we can tie that directly to how sleep is physiologically affecting us and, and how we can curb that by improving the quality of sleep that we get. Is there a recommendation of what tests you should have done prior to you know going through a program like this just so that you can quantify if you're making progress or anything like that? Or is it more about how you're feeling and you know, how your just your overall general health. Yeah, so I can step in and, and touch on that if that's okay. Of course. So there are a few different things that you can do to measure your sleep. And on a personal level, there are a lot of bio trackers out there like Fitbit or Sean and I wear Aura Rings. And what we actually ask um, when we teach the class um We'll either have someone, you know, we we it's kind of joking, but actually it's real, you know, take your blood pressure before and after the guided practice, or if somebody is wearing a tracker um, to, to share their data with us after. And the department that we taught right before the pandemic popped off, West Metro Fire, in, um, it's in a basically Denver metro area. One of the firefighters in the class uh, emailed us after and said that his his data from the practice was remarkable because normally his resting heart rate is 66. Sometimes it'll go down to 60, but during the guided sleep recovery practice that he experienced with me, his heart rate went down to 44 beats per minute. So there's there's um, individual data that we can track, but also if you're looking to do specific um, tests um, for sleep, I would suggest getting your cortisol levels tested, and that's your daytime hormone. Uh, It's basically produced by your adrenal glands in the morning time, and it's also a stress hormone, and when you're chronically interrupted from sleep or if you're overly stressed, your cortisol levels will be extremely high. It'll ultimately result in adrenal fatigue and the suppression of your melatonin hormone. 
um, which then causes more sleep disturbances. And so um, getting your cortisol tested um, not just once in a day, but actually in the morning and the evening to analyze when is my cortisol level peaking. If your cortisol levels are highest in the morning, that's ideal. And But if a lot of times people with sleep issues, will it'll show their cortisol levels elevate at night and all of a sudden they're really awake in the evening and they don't know why. And um, that's indicative of we just need to do a circadian reset and a couple specific steps we can take to adjusting it so that your cortisol and melatonin levels are balanced for healthy sleep patterns. Oh man, that's interesting. I was going to bring up the whole cortisol thing because I, I think that you can directly link all of a sudden you're, you're have a little more fat around the middle when you're having these sleep issues. And from what I understand, and when I talked to Sean uh, prior to the podcast, we were talking that what really drove this issue home for me was I was listening to another podcast with uh, Dr. Walker. Awesome. Just the the list of things that go on with your brain and body just due to lack of sleep just blew me away because he's recommending that you're getting at the very minimum, very minimum, seven hours of sleep. And anything under that, you know, he's like between seven and eight hours and anything less than that, you're really moving into an increased risk of heart attacks, uh, stroke, but more importantly, like Alzheimer's and organic brain disease. I think back when was the last time I really had just period a seven hours of straight sleep. I know that and maybe you can speak to this, Jacqueline. I know that some people are just wired to be night people and some people are these morning people that are out jogging at five o'clock in the morning and some people aren't. Is that, I mean, that's just the way we're wired, right? So um, how do you, how do you deal with, you know, a first responder who may be just wired as a night person? So there, there is some truth to that, that, um, some people have a tendency to be wired in that way. But I would say in a greater picture, our society has conditioned us to produce those daytime hormones at night due to our artificial light use, causing us to produce, you know, that cortisol and adrenaline, all the things that keep us awake. And so we are misperceiving our own biology and I think if you were to take the, those same people and throw them out in a desert and camping for a couple of weeks and just really got in sync with nature's rhythm of the rise and setting of the sun, their circadian rhythm would fix itself. And then all of a sudden, um, more often than not, the individual would feel more alert, vibrant, awake, energy, and feeling good when they wake up in the morning versus uh, what you just described. What about, like, I, I don't want to, I want to specifically talk about your program in a second here, but I'm so fascinated by this and I feel like I, I have the ability to talk to some actual experts on this subject. So I want to throw all these things that I have rolling around in my, my brain while I have you guys. Uh, what about supplementation, like melatonin and stuff like that? Well, okay, so... Most people out there listening probably already know melatonin is your sleep hormone, and 
your body produces it in the pineal gland in your brain and it is its production is triggered by darkness and i would say also by some level a sense of safety as well your body won't put you to sleep if you're in a in a perceived threat or danger so in the evening time as the sun sets for thousands of years humans have evolved to become diurnal meaning we're awake in the day asleep at night and we produce melatonin and in recent years you know with you know medical developments and just being able to to take supplements people have started to use exogenous melatonin and this hormone while it works when it's internally produced the most recent research indicates that it will influence your circadian timing although it will be problematic for your sleep quality meaning it'll actually cause fragmentation in your sleep so someone may it may help them you know go to sleep at a certain time but then randomly through the night they're waking up and so we recommend against using melatonin it's also the Stanford Stanford did a study um, about dosage and found that most over-the-counter melatonin is way too high and in dosage most tablets are like one to three milligrams or more and they found the highest efficacy in their testing of people who supplemented with it was 0.3 milligrams and that was for adults so one-third of a tablet who's going to actually cut up a tablet right we actually suggest with some dietary minor dietary suggestions one simple one, I actually just posted it on our social media yesterday, is one of the highest concentrated foods with naturally occurring melatonin is tart cherry juice. And it's so simple, like you can get a concentrate at Whole Foods or, you know, I posted a link in our social media of the kind that we like. You can just mix it with water at night, you know, half an hour before bed or 15 minutes before bed and mix in and uh, something else that we recommend, uh, which is a mineral known as magnesium, it's used in over 300 enzyme actions in your body, and our bodies really deplete, <laughs> go through it a lot, especially with high stress, and it helps the muscles relax and um, the nervous system. Um, so we just mix tart cherry juice with water and magnesium, and that is the most simple fairly safe I mean you want to always check with your physician before trying anything new but that's one simple recommendation you can start with and let us know how your sleep is going that's, that. that's your first basic sleep cocktail that, that you could recommend is the uh, tart yeah. cherry juice and <laughs> magnesium okay well you know this is a podcast about first responders for first responders so this information that you're giving is amazing because I guarantee you that a good majority of people who are still working, who are having these issues, the first thing that they're going to is that melatonin. I know that from, uh, you know, Dr. Walker's recommendation, one of the other big things that um, he was suggesting that would help is the temperature at which you sleep. He said that cold is more beneficial in you know, getting good sleep. And I know that, and I want to get into this further with you, like 
the rate, the length of sleep isn't as important as the quality of sleep, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and that research is really interesting. Um, and it, that that specific study that you're referencing, um, that Dr. Walker, he writes about it in his book also. It's a great read, Why We Sleep. Um, basically, when your body goes into the deepest stage of sleep, all of the systems in the body slow down, and that causes the core temperature of the body to lower. And so there's this, just like Pavlov's law, there's this subconscious association that if you step into a cooler environment, it's like there's a deep part of yourself that recognizes, ooh, this is where I experience deep rest. And it'll kickstart and facilitate that process and allow the body to to transition a little bit easier. Yeah, it's really interesting that you brought this up because this is something I've been actually tracking for myself lately because we're in the process of installing a heating system at our cabin in the mountains where we live. So we're right now heating our home entirely with wood stove heat. So to supplement that, we've been using an electric blanket on the extremely cold nights. And I've noticed if I have that electric blanket set too high, I can actually track it on my sleep tracker and see that when the temperature is too high and I'm getting over that optimum range, I can see that my heart rate variability actually decreases significantly and my resting heart rate increases significantly, causing my overall uh, sleep score for the night to significantly decline. Um, and I've seen that I've seen that negative effect just as a result of using a heat blanket that's set too hot for the environment. Well, if you go into any bunk room, it is ice cold. <laughs> it is mm-hmm. uh, it is ice cold. <laughs> Uh, if, you know, there are some firehouses in Chicago where in the wintertime you got to go outside to warm up because these bunk rooms are so cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what, what other kind of, you know, I don't want to give away the program here, but what other, for people who are listening that are having a hard time, you know, there may be people who are listening on their way home from uh shift. What can you tell those people on the, you know, what they can do to go home after work and get a good night's sleep? Yeah, well, I think the biggest thing is, <laughs> I mean, there's so many things that we I know, I, I, I'm kind of putting you on the spot and like really casting a wide net here. But, you know, I mean, if, if, if somebody said, hey, Jacqueline, I, I can't like, help me get to sleep like today. Um, what's something that they can implement like right now that they could probably help them this episode of chicago's bravest stories brought to you by rescue one cbd a firefighter owned company taking care of first responders with their cbd oil that's guaranteed to be 0.000 percent thc making it safe for the job enter promo code bravest and you'll receive 25 percent off your order again type in the promo code bravest and you'll get 25 percent off all rescue one products go to rescue one cbd.com and place your order if you're having trouble sleeping or you have some aches and pains cbd oil has been a game changer for me go to rescue1cbd.com and place an order i well just to break down really 
I'll give you in a nutshell our class and kind of touch on each point and then uh, you can pick and choose what resonates with you because some people you know we want to set people up for success so some people might really want to focus on their diet some people might want to focus on environmental controls like light and dark and temperature some people might have a super busy racing mind and they cannot turn it off and if that was the case I would I would direct them to a recovery practice. And anytime a first responder reaches out to me, I provide them at no charge uh, access to one of my guided recordings um, because it actually has been the root of the practice has actually been studied at various universities. One of them showed it lowers your cortisol levels and increases your dopamine, which enables the body to start to feel good and switch out of that fight or flight. Um, so really, the, the prime thing is a body and breath awareness technique. It's 30 minutes, you lay down, and you actually are guided into a deep state of relaxation, such that, um, according to one study out of Copenhagen at the university hospital there, they did uh, PET scans on people doing this practice, and they found that their brainwave activity slowed so significantly while conscious they were actually accessing sleep brainwave patterns such as theta and delta, which is your deepest uh, sleep. And that was not believed to be accessible conscious until this study was done. So uh, this is the most powerful, hands-down, transformative, life-changing practice. Um, everything else, you know, that Dr. Walker describes in his book and that we teach in our class, those are all great supplements to boost the natural system. But, um, and Jacqueline, you're you're saying that this is a breathing technique. It's a body and breath awareness practice. Okay. Starting, let me explain it a little bit more. It's uh, it's I've developed it based off of an ancient meditation practice that has been studied by the Department of Defense. It's called Yoga Nidra. Is the guided relaxation practice, but I have tailored it for the first responder community, and I've included a few other uh, practices that have been studied and verified to be effective for helping sleep. And I start with some somatic movement, meaning very specific, I'm targeting very specific muscles in the body. We do a little bit of um, physical stretching and different body movement. And then I guide very specific breath techniques that engage the parasympathetic nervous system, which is your rest and digest part of your nervous system. And then I have everybody lie down on their back and I guide them through this body and breath awareness technique, otherwise known as yoga nidra. Um, and it is, yoga nidra has uh, been studied by the DOD at Walter Reed, and they've actually found it so effective at treating PTSD and insomnia depression and anxiety that they have made it a permanent program it's actually a clinical tier one pain and trauma treatment at Walter Reed under Dr. Richard Miller um, he's done excellent work there I admire his work so much and it's been avail available at VAs in like over 12 states I think now so what I've done is you know take it in my like I've been studying it about 15 years or so and knowing Sean and being able to work with first responders uh, over the last few years, I've really 
developed it specifically for first responders and being able to use it after running a call in the middle of the night and being able to turn it off and go back to sleep and get into that deep quality sleep that everyone so desperately needs. Do you do you guys want to talk about like what actually prompted you guys to want to really get into this? I know you guys have a personal connection to wanting to help that you guys are, you know, this isn't just um, something that you guys, hey, let's do this. This was actually something that came about by something else, correct? And if you wanted to talk about it, you can. If you, if not, we, we can move on. No, absolutely. Um, I'm more than happy to talk about it. You know, it's, it's, I think, something that's really prevalent in the fire service to be able to talk about these things and, and you know, bring something good out of a difficult situation. So. Where the program really took a turning point for us is in 2016, um, very suddenly and unexpectedly, I lost a very close friend and my first senior guy on the job to suicide. And true to what you hear from so many people who have experienced loss as a part of suicide, you know, Jacqueline and I really fell into this mentality of how did we miss how much trouble Mike was in and Mike was my senior guy. And in trying to answer that question, I really started exploring Mike as a person and what was going on in his life. And what really shocked me is as much as I was digging and trying to answer that question, I couldn't find those key things that we're taught to look for when we talk about taking care of our brothers and sisters on the job. And that is that Mike didn't have a terribly traumatic, life-changing event happen at home. He didn't have any significantly dramatic calls or series of calls that had happened in recent memory. Um, didn't have really any major life struggles going on that anybody could point to. So nothing, there was the typical red flags that you would normally be looking out for, they weren't, they weren't there. Right, none of them. And, uh, and, and all the signs, you know, I'm a peer supporter as well, and like all the things that we're taught in peer support to look for, none of that was there. He wasn't. He wasn't disassociating. He wasn't removing himself from things. He was still very much, you know, enjoying work, um, being social. He was active. He was going out with us, and you know, we were doing fun things and activities. And but yeah, there was there was nothing at all that pointed to anything that we should be concerned about. And there was nothing about his behavior or personality that was even remotely concerning. Uh, it seemed like it just happened out of nowhere when everything seemed fine. But we kept coming back over and over again to this this realization that something that Mike always had going on but never complained about or was too worried about was he had horrible sleep. Um, for as long as I knew Mike, he never slept at the firehouse. You know, he'd be up at 2 o'clock in the morning out in the bay cleaning tools or striping tools because he couldn't sleep. Uh, he'd come back from his days off. And I'd ask him how his days off were, and, you know, his response was pretty consistently something to the effect of, Oh man, I was up at 2 a.m. last night. I couldn't get back to sleep, but you know, I got out in the garage and worked on the Mustang all night, so it's no big deal. Um, so he never really treated it like a problem. But anybody I talked to that worked with him for much longer than I did said the same thing. Yeah, the guy never slept. So about that same time, Jacqueline and I were really digging into the research around sleep and the effect that sleep has on your mental health and wellness. And one of the most shocking things that we found in that research was this um, study out of Stanford 
And the study out of Stanford essentially concluded that persons with chronically interrupted sleep were one and a half times more likely to take their own lives than somebody with diagnosed depression. Wow. And what was more shocking about that is that it showed that people with chronically interrupted sleep could actually get to a place of suicidal ideation and action completely independent of those external factors that we so commonly are taught to look out for. In other words, the seemingly normal stressors of life could actually culminate to the place of suicidal ideation and action specifically as a result of your chronically interrupted sleep in the negative effect that has on your body chemistry and your brain function. And that was the turning point for us where this changed from like, oh, this would be really good information to get out to the firefighters to we have a responsibility to get this out to as many people as possible because this is actually going to save people's lives. It's going, it, it's truly life-changing. And to Jacqueline's credit, Jacqueline at that point quit everything else that she had going on professionally. And she has literally eat, slept, and breathed firefighter health and wellness uh, ever since. I don't think there's more of an expert with more compassion for the first responder community that I've ever met than than Jacqueline in the way that she's throwing herself into this program and, and fully committed to us and our wellness. It's really amazing. I just knew it was seen, you know, it was just a heartbreaking scenario, like never imagined seeing Sean having to bury his friend as a pole bearer. Like that was like a turning point where it was just like, I'm getting emotional about it. Like, I don't ever want to see a first responder or any of their family go through that, you know, and if there's something I can do, I, you know, I feel like it's a deep obligation in my heart to share this. I can, you know, uh, say that I personally appreciate the work that you're doing. I know that there's a ton of other people out there that will feel the same way when they start to research and implement the things that, you know, you've talked about. And hopefully by having you guys on, and I mean, they can see how emotional you are about this, that it, that you definitely have skin in this game. This is not something that, that is just a just some passing thing that you're doing. This is something that you are, you know, obviously very passionate about. And so I tend to listen more to the things that you have to say because you've put so much into this. What uh, is there something that, uh, all right, let's say that I, I know that if you implement your, some of your techniques that you're talking about with your with your the breathing and your meditation and your stretching and you're ready to go to bed and you jump on your cell phone and check your social media or have you just negated everything that you've done prior to that is that one of the big things that you guys are advocating is like you know I, I think I heard that like a half hour before you go to bed you should not be on uh, watching tv you shouldn't be on your phone you shouldn't do any of that um, what are your thoughts on that type of stuff so if you do this practice, you know, you're going to be laying in bed. The last thing we recommend doing before falling asleep. And most people, even though I guide the instruction, remain awake, most people drop into a deep sleep regardless. So you're going to be out. <laughs> most of the 
time if I teach this at a fire department, you know, there's, it's just snoring in the room. So like, <laughs> even though I guide, like, stay awake, stay awake. Like, it's uh, profound. It's different from any other meditation out there. It's, it's profoundly effective at calming the mind and giving the mind something to think about. So it's, it's so life-changing. I can't even... I don't even know how to describe it beyond that other than you have to experience it. It's probably the, the same thing as, you know, a, a, for Sean, like if he's trying to teach someone about a fire, <laughs> you can only describe how insane the experience is. Uh, you can only know what the experience is when you actually go into it. And so that's the only way I could really describe it. But what would you say to that answer? Sean? Yeah. And, and what I would say to that is, you know, I don't ever want to use, harsh language like if you do this you've totally negated any hope of getting good sleep because there's always a route to getting some amount of quality to your sleep and there's always things you can do to improve it but with that being said you know absolutely understand that a simple act like watching tv right before bed or browsing social media on your phone is going to have a significant impact on the quality of sleep that you get and the reason for that is, like we've been talking about, being diurnal beings, we're meant to be preparing for sleep when it's dark outside. And the way that happens is cells in our eyes recognize the presence and absence of light, and most specifically, blue spectrum light. And when we're getting exposed to blue spectrum light, our brain is being triggered to release hormones that prepare us for being awake, like cortisol. And then it's shutting down nighttime hormones that help us sleep, like melatonin. And our bodies haven't evolved or adjusted to be able to distinguish natural blue spectrum light like that that's emitted from the sun from blue spectrum light that's emitted from artificial electronics like fluorescent lighting, cell phones, and TVs. So when we pick up our phone at night and we scroll social media for a little bit, what we're doing is we're sending a signal through the ganglionic cells in our eyes to tell our body it's time to be awake, and we're shutting down melatonin, and we're, we're, we're peaking cortisol, and that's definitely going to have a significant impact on the quality of sleep that you can get because cortisol in our bodies won't necessarily negatively impact our sleep latency or the time it takes us to fall asleep, but it'll affect the quality of the sleep that we get. And that's where we run into this really strong misconception with people who don't have a hard time falling asleep is just because you can fall asleep quickly or with ease doesn't mean that the quality of sleep that you're getting once you're asleep is optimal for healing your body and brain. Well, that that's personally my issue. I, I can fall asleep, no problem, but I'll get up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and now I'm wide awake. I've gone into these uh, terrible cycles where that's been, like, the way I've slept for weeks at a time, where I'm exhausted, I go to bed at a decent hour, and I'll turn or something, like that, and then I'm up. And so, yeah. I, I mean... It's a terrible cycle to be in. That's the most common that we hear. When we ask about sleep patterns, uh, the number one reported thing is I wake up randomly between 1 and 4 a.m. <laughs> when I'm not working. And I've done a lot of research on it, and I have a few few ideas for you, but, but you could finish what you were saying. No, I, I you know what um, Sean was saying, you know, makes sense that, you know, your brain 
can't tell the difference between natural sunlight and, you know, your cell phone. So if you're on your cell phone at 3 o'clock in the morning, your body's saying, oh, it's time to get up. And from what I understand, that that blue light goes through your eyelids as well. So even if your eyes are closed, that light can make it through the membranes of your eyelids, and that's what starts that hormone shift to wake up and and uh, start those uh, hormones. Yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah, I mean, just think about it. If you're laying in bed and your eyes are closed and you're asleep, if somebody flashes a flashlight directly above your eyes, you're going to wake up. <laughs> your eyes, your body is always scanning for light information because that's how we're evolved. And one thing, I don't know, do you wear blue or do you have blue blockers? No. So that's one simple tip. Uh, if you're someone who likes to watch movies at night or social media, we're not advocating those things. But one step towards at least protecting your melatonin levels and uh, preventing the like cortisol production at night is to wear, you know, just you can find them on Amazon. They're like ten bucks. You just wear, just get a blue blocker lens, and that'll at least that will deflect some of the blue light, which will interfere less with your hormones but you're still probably going to produce a little bit of cortisol at night yeah and that's you know that's such an easy thing to do is one of the first things that i did um and it started with just for calls after nighttime i kept them by my by my bunk at night so when we got a call the first thing i did was was throw on a pair of blue blocker safety glasses um and since then it's it's evolved to where i wear them much more frequently around the firehouse at nighttime and a lot of that had to do with not disrupting my firehouse routine um, if my crew, you know, wanted to key up a movie and watch a movie as a crew in the day room, I didn't want to be that guy that was like, well, I can't do that because it's going to mess my sleep up. Because I enjoy that tradition of like the day's done and it's been a busy day and we can all kind of relax together and watch a movie. It was much easier for me to just say, you know what, I'll throw on these blue blocker glasses. I can still, you know, take part in that with my crew, but I can do it in a way that's minimizing the impact it's going to have on my sleep in another two and a half hours or so. And, you know, there's some people out there that are just have that I'll sleep when I'm dead mentality that even sharing all this research there, it's just, they're just like, well, it's part of the job. But for our stance on it is we should be doing everything within our power to support not only our health, but it will influence. We don't even have time in our four hour class to get into performance and like like. Uh, you know, likelihood of mistakes, but it will influence, you know, those life-saving moments on dosing a patient or, you know, whatever the circumstances, whether you're a police or medic or firefighter, like they're life-saving moments that if you're sleep deprived, you're not going to be functioning on all cylinders. And yeah, I'm sure you could relate, you know, (laughs) at two o'clock in the morning on your 16th run, how much how much harder you have to work at, you know, maybe calculating drug dosages on a on a significant patient than it would be, you know, in the middle of the day when you're fresh and rested. It's, it's, it's going to have an impact on our professionalism. The worst case scenario is trying to find your, figure out your uh, PEDS dose for like a, an arrest or something like that after midnight when you've been up all night. You know, I, I would, I wonder if there are studies out there that can directly measure performance of first responders sleep deprived as opposed to or at least uh the day as opposed to overnight because i i bet you that would be significant don't you think 
I'm wondering if we've heard of any. No, and the closest thing I can compare it to is they've done that study. Um, they've done that study with driving. I haven't seen them ever do it specifically with like medicine, um, but there's a lot of people looking at the impact that that chronically disrupted sleep is having on specifically engineers and driver operators in the fire service. Well, sleep deprivation is supposed to be worse than uh, driving drunk, right? Exactly. They said um, in the the one study, I can't place who did the study, but the one study I'm kind of familiar with um, basically showed that, yeah, that responsiveness, reactivity, and critical thinking for a person who is chronically sleep-deprived was actually more impaired than in somebody who had a blood alcohol level of 0.08. So essentially, yeah. Essentially, we're driving around drunk in the middle of the night when we're not, when we're not taking care of our quality of sleep and in rest. I know. Yeah. I, I, uh, I was just gonna say. I know we we heard about the sharpshooter study in the military, but I don't know of any in in the first responder world. But it's there's. A, I mean, there's definitely an association. And well, tell us the the sharpshooter study. And that was was that Kurt Parsley? I I feel like. Well, I, I don't remember the specific... Um... The, the gist of the study, without getting into, I don't want to claim any details I don't know off the top of my head, but it was, <laughs> it was a military doctor wanted to do a study on the effect that, that sleep deprivation had on specifically special operations units. So they took multiple special operations units from Navy SEALs, Army Rangers, etc., and they gave them all various levels of interrupted sleep with the the worst being no sleep at all and they were kept awake for extended periods of time overnight and the best being getting regular uh, seven hour or more um, cycles of sleep throughout the night and what they found was that even in the most elite trained soldiers the more they were deprived of sleep the greater they saw their efficacy go down in things like um, sharpshooting and uh, breaching rooms to clear rooms, more mistakes were made, more people were missed. Um, that was the that was the the kind of cliff note of the study. Okay. Well, I mean, I think we can uh, use that as a good guideline that the amount of sleep that we need and we get is detrimental to the performance of our duties. Um, is is seven hours the sweet spot for um, what we need to be getting on a daily basis? Is is that the number that we're looking for is that the magic number the way that we teach it in our program because sleep is so interrupted with shift work is we actually steer away from the magic number of what the general population needs between seven and eight hours um that is assuming that the body will go through the various stages of sleep um, which occurs every 90 minutes but if you are getting interrupted every 45 minutes to run a call or every hour, or whatever the situation is, you're not actually getting into those critical phases, delta, which is you know physiologic repair in the body, and then followed by REM, which is commonly known for dreams, but studies are starting to show that it's very critical for psychological health. If you're interrupting your sleep every so often, you're just floating through what would be considered light sleep, which is the equivalent of getting a nap. So you're running through a few naps per night. So we actually recommend focusing on 90-minute chunks. So calculating, you know, 
five, making sure you get five 90 minute cycles, whether it is, you know, through the night or you get 90 minutes to sleep if you were totally ruined the night before, you know, just making sure you get those cycles in because that's where you're getting the deep restoration. And that was a, that was a critical mistake that I was making before Jacqueline got a hold of me is I was always measuring my sleep at the firehouse in cumulative hours. So I'd come home and, you know, Jacqueline would ask me how my night was and I'd say, oh, it wasn't bad. We had four after midnight, but I got to bed early and they were spaced out pretty good. So I still got a solid six, seven hours of sleep in between those runs because I was adding all my sleep together through the night, not realizing that even if I got seven cumulative hours throughout the night, because I was interrupted so frequently, I may have effectively never actually gotten any delta sleep or REM sleep, despite the fact that I got those seven hours in. Well, I wanted, that's what I wanted to ask you guys next is that that sleep isn't cumulative. So let's say you one night you get four hours of sleep. The next day you can't make that up by, oh, I'm going to go to bed three more hours earlier and make up that sleep, right? That's That sleep is lost forever, and you can't make that up, right? That's mostly correct. So there's there's a little bit of of debate among some of the sleep experts about how exactly they call it sleep debt, how exactly sleep debt works. And what everybody seems to agree on is sleep debt is definitely not a one-for-one one exchange. So if I miss out on four hours of sleep last night, I can't just go home and sleep for four hours and make up for that lost sleep. But if you are optimizing and prioritizing your sleep health and your sleep recovery, then you can undo the damage that is done from that disrupted sleep. And a great thing I can point to is, again, that sleep recovery practice, what it does is it helps facilitate getting your brain into those theta and delta brainwaves where physiological repair happens. And that's going to allow for when you sleep to spend more time in REM sleep where your cognitive repair happens. And some research has shown that when you consistently practice the sleep recovery practice for a period of eight weeks, some of the effects that have been measured um, in clinical studies is that the brain will actually show a physical growth of the prefrontal cortex and um, a physical increase of endogenous dopamine production by as much as 60%. So when you're optimizing these recovery practices, even though it's not one for one, you absolutely have the tools to undo the damage that has already been done by your disrupted sleep. Wow, that's ridiculous. Those are like like life-changing numbers just from implementing that program. Uh, so that's research. Dr. Sarah Laser from Harvard did extensive studies on uh, different types of meditation, and it was 30 minutes a day for eight weeks, and she not only in the prefrontal cortex, but in regions like the hippocampus, which is learning and memory. And, uh, you know, the frontal cortex is for decision-making, which we were just talking about. Like, it's all related. It all comes back to, to full circle. Give everybody your information, where they can find you guys, how they can get involved in some of these implementations, and how they can really start working on uh, getting better sleep and uh, working with you guys? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having us on. It's been fun to talk with you and, and share what we're passionate about. 
and it's great what you're doing. Um, and we would be honored if anybody's department or organization or conference is looking to improve sleep health for their first responders. This is my passion and honor. I would love to present at your organization. And we are comfortable with traveling during these times. I'll wear a mask and <laughs> stay healthy, bring some hand sanitizer. You could reach out to us at our website. It's uh, spelled out firstrespondersleeprecovery.com backslash contact and fill out a form and I'll get back to you and we can set something up. Right. First responder sleep recovery backslash contact and that'll get to you guys. And did you guys have any, uh, you know, do you offer up tips and stuff like that on social media and stuff like that where somebody might want to follow you guys? You guys are on uh, Instagram and and uh, what other um, platforms? Yeah, so you can you can find us on uh, Instagram and Facebook at First Responder Sleep Recovery. Um, also, if you're looking to expand on some of the information we talked about today, we've got uh, a couple of articles uh, under Jacqueline's name, Jacqueline Toomey, on fire engineering. And we also have a subsection on Leatherhead Mafia under sleep recovery. That is all articles that delve into some of these topics um, very specifically. So it'll be like sleep and cancer, sleep and suicide, sleep and testosterone, and so on and so forth. And that's somewhere you're welcome to go pull up more of this information and take kind of a deeper dive into the specific subjects. Well, before I let you guys go, um, can I get your thoughts on how has sleep been affected during this pandemic? Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, one of the things that we teach about in our class a lot is routine plays a big role in our sleep wellness. And we develop these routines that can optimize our rest and recovery. And I think first and foremost, you know, the pandemic has, in perspective as well, and the pandemic has certainly created a significant alteration to our routine. It's um, not just in our personal lives, but even the firehouse environment or the ambulance or police environment feels different. We're changing procedures. We're functioning in a different way. And we're doing it all under kind of the, this blanket of concern of not exactly understanding or knowing what to expect during this pandemic. And I think that's also driving people into maybe less healthy but comforting practices like social media, like television. And I think all of that, coupled with just the stress of the pandemic itself, is something that is certainly challenging to our sleep health. And I know Jacqueline and I have even had to self-correct each other a time or two on our own sleep health practices when we get too far down the rabbit hole of, of concern about what's going on right now. And, and it's just important to come back to those practices and trust in those practices that are going to optimize our wellness and recovery. And Jacqueline, if you want to speak to perspective a little bit. I've really uh, reflected on our perspective and how I, I always love this quote. My dad always used to tell me, like, your perspective defines your reality. You know, you can go into any situation and think, oh, this is going to be a great opportunity to learn and overcome a challenge, or this is doomsday and it's terrible and life is over, you know. And while, yes, we're not minimizing any challenges we've all faced challenges the whole collective globe has faced it i just encourage everybody to maybe try to step back and think big picture when it when it feels overwhelming that uh you know a diamond was once a coal that was under a lot of pressure and heat and 
it was only through that intense pressure that it formed. And right now, even though it might feel challenging, there's a potential that we are all growing as people in, in increasing our resilience and really becoming more compassionate for each other. Like, wow, I really care that you're, you lost someone. I'm sorry. Like we care about our own health more because it's in our face. We're like learning, Oh man, this, our mortality is a real thing. Like sometimes we walk around as if we're not going to die. We're, we're all going to die. <laughs> this is, you know, <laughs> this is the fact of life, but like, let's just reflect on it. And like, how beautiful it's like a miracle that we're alive also that we have this opportunity to live every single day and we get to choose our perspective that regardless of what's going on in this world, we can decide, you know, instead of stress, I'm going to find something that is freaking awesome and fun and really have a moment of joy because our life is not guaranteed. We never know when our time is. So why not make the absolute best of it and, and every day? And perspective is an amazing tool. There's plenty of science out there that mm -hmm. actually shows that two people who experience the exact same situation with different perspectives of that situation, their bodies will physiologically and chemically respond differently. So our perspective can actually, can actually create a more positive physiological response in our body if we allow it to. And that's going to ultimately translate to better overall health and better quality of sleep, rest, and recovery. That's why cancer patients um, with positive mindsets have higher survival rates. Absolutely. I, I've actually yeah, I've actually heard that that um, they've done those studies about just positivity with cancer patients, and it was kind of mind-blowing. One of the reasons I wanted to have you guys on, because as a community, um, you know, first responders are always the people who are taking care of other people, and they are not as likely to take care of themselves. Um, I almost, uh, um, you know, used the analogy that, you know, it's the mechanic who's got the, the terrible running car or it's the chef that comes home and, you know, puts a TV dinner in the oven. You know, I think that yeah. we Good. do spend that amount of time helping other people. And when it comes to self-help, we really neglect ourselves. So if I can shed a little bit of light on this, and I know that there isn't a single person who's ever worked in the fire service, EMS, uh, law enforcement, who hasn't gone through some bout of insomnia, if not on a regular basis, you know, at, at, at some point in the career, they're having sleep troubles. So if we can just chip away at that, I think, uh, you know, a lot of the things that you guys talked about is great advice. And, you know, maybe we're helping if, you know, we're helping some people. And I just want to thank you so much, Sean, Jacqueline. Um, it was amazing to hear how emotional you are that this project means that much to you. And hopefully, you know, more people reach out to you guys. So from Chicago's Bravest Stories, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. The opinions and views are that of Chicago's Bravest Stories podcast and their guests. They do not necessarily reflect the views of any municipal governments, fire protection districts, fire departments, EMS, or law enforcement organizations. 